Welcome to the Fitness Canner Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Feigl. I'll be bringing you the truth about exercise by interviewing fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, as well as fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders. Hopefully you take this info and apply it to have a better, healthier, and happier lifestyle. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode, uh, what number is this? Episode 43 of the Fitness Scanner Podcast. I am joined today by a a guy who I think is going to bring a ton of information, if not in just this episode, but in many, many episodes down the road. So I'm really happy to have the director of the Good Athlete Project, Jim Davis, with me today. Uh, we're going to kind of dive into what exactly where he came from to where he is now and what he does and who he helps and to what exactly the Good Athlete Project is because I'm super excited to, to share this today. So, Jim, thanks for taking the time in. I know you are you got a lot of crazy stuff going on, so I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Definitely. So I like to start everybody's, everybody off with a little background to, to who we're talking to. So kind of tell us who you are, where you came from, and why you do what you do. Um, okay, I can do that. That's big. That's a big question, but I'll, I'll, <laughs> That's uh, good. I'll do my best. So. Dive deep, son. Who I am and where I came. <laughs> uh, I think, I think the easiest way to start this conversation is, um, you know, why I do the things that I do, why I'm involved and, and so heavily invested in this work is because I have a lot of firsthand experience in athletics. And, uh, the quick version of my story is I played, I played sports all my life. I played football through high school and college. Um, four years of college football were, um, you know, I was successful enough at that level to go on uh, and have opportunities post-college. Uh, I use the term professional loosely because I was never, I don't think, in the conversation for any sort of NFL uh, career, but I did have uh, a short career playing indoor football in like an arena league setting uh and then three seasons over in europe uh um, that which were pretty amazing that totally yeah. counts yeah, I mean, especially, especially compared were, to I'm, my my one or two seasons of uh, flag football intramural that counts okay well <laughs> listen it, I, I wouldn't i wouldn't uh downgrade flag football i i kind of joke about this because you know a big thing we do is injury prevention right and right. uh I, i've broken one i'm lucky enough to have only broken one bone in my body um, in, throughout my career, and it was in flag football. I broke my knuckle playing flag football after wow. all this stuff. So, oh, wow. um, listen, your 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 experience is valuable, Eric, for sure. Um, but uh, you know, so while I was over there, it was um, it was pretty fun. We were lucky. I was lucky enough to meet a lot of good people. We won a couple championships and and had an absolute blast um, with athletics. Is you know the the core of all of it. So uh, I, had a, I had a good career. Uh, I'm satisfied with my career as a player. Um, from there on, uh, I got into coaching. So in fact, while I was playing, I was, I'd be, I'd be home, uh, back around the Chicago area, uh, coaching in the fall and, and essentially just get on a plane once February came around and, and go find a place to play and then be back again in time to train and coach in the fall. Uh, so I kept doing that and <clears throat> my role uh, as a coach has continued to expand. I'm now, uh, currently the director of, uh, excuse me, the staff and student, wellness coordinator at Nutria High School, which is a, a big 4,000-plus student um, school just north of Chicago um, with a fantastic athletic program. I'm very lucky to be a part of it. Um, 
And essentially in, in that role, uh, we grew, we, we, we kind of made, made it up. You know, everyone was, uh, you know, all the coaches, we're lucky to have fantastic coaches surrounding us. Uh, coaches were sort of tasked with providing strength and conditioning for their players. Um, essentially, if they knew anything about it and if they didn't, sometimes that would go to the wayside. Uh, so I want to say it was six years ago, about six years ago, we, we started the strength and conditioning program. And at that time, uh, there were 80 students participating. It was pretty much the football team and a handful of wrestlers. Um, and we grew it systematically uh, over the past, over these past years. And we're now serving 1,200 student athletes. Uh, we've got a staff of eight part-time employees. Um, and we're very <clears throat> pleased with the product we put out. Um, it, especially because, you know, and, and we'll move down this road soon, especially because character and leadership and safety, uh, those are those are like the, at the core of what we do. Only from there do we mo- build on and aim for performance. And we're lucky enough to, to be able to check uh, all those boxes. Yeah. Uh, the other kind of unique thing about what we do is um, – is, I mean, we're fully opt-in, right? It's, it's optional. We, you don't have to participate in our program. We, we, you know, it's all word of mouth. Like, uh, you know, 80 people showed up, 80 people liked it. And I'm sure not everybody liked it. I think we can be tough sometimes, but, but, uh, enough people liked it that they told people. And then those people told people and then coaches started buying in and the thing is just taken off. And that's fantastic. Um, I call that kind of stage two. So stage one was player stage two was coach stage three. Um, is something I'm working on, which is um, the Illinois High School Powerlifting Association. Um, and that is Illinois' uh, first and biggest team-based powerlifting association. And uh, we are we're drug-free, unequipped, team-based powerlifting. Um, the missions of that project, of this affiliation, are uh, character, culture, service, and equity. And part of that includes uh, making sure finance is not standing in the way of participation and really growing and expanding the sport and making sure people understand some of the really, really important things um, that, that one might learn through athletics, like delay of gratification. Powerlifting is cool that way, right? Like the ball is not going to bounce in a strange way. The weather is not going to pick up. Powerlifting as a sport is very simply, um, can you train hard with fantastic technique, over and over and over again. If so, you will reap some sort of benefit at the back end, um, and that's just how it works. Right. Um, and on on May, on May 6th of this year, we will um, host the uh, the third Illinois State Championship. We'll have about 300 athletes representing 20 plus schools from across the state, and and that's become a really cool thing to be a part of. So again, if I were to like kind of backtrack, it was stage one player, stage two coach, stage three is essentially trying to scale that model and provide opportunities for character development and education through athletics across the state. Um, and then I think the stage four is, is what you and I are uh, both interested in. Um, and that's kind of all the ideas of the good athlete project stage, stage uh, the good athlete project in stage four is kind of um, the, the bigger, more expansive ideas on all of this. So can we talk players can we talk to coaches can we talk to coaches about professional development and development and coaching other coaches um and then how big and important uh you know and, and, and expansive can we make this um i think the the easiest way to sum up the good athlete project would be um we're an international uh education consulting foundation focused on using athletics uh for the powerful platform that it is and yep. 
I say that because, and you know this, but um, when it goes well, I mean, after the sports are amazing, and 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 that and it's all over the place. There's a reason 40 million people participate in the U.S. alone. Um, it's because it's fantastic, and you know, selling sports as as a cool idea. This is this, that's an Maybe this is probably not the the place for it because it's so obvious. Right. But maybe the thing that's lost, the thing that's lost, however, every you know, every so often, uh, is when sports go go wrong, right? And that and that can take a number of different. It can look a number of different ways, right? It could it could be just simply uh, a missed opportunity, that being like a coach coaching purely for basketball, say, and missing the chance to use that platform for for all these other things that will lead their their student athletes of future successes. That'd be a missed opportunity. And then the truth is, um, there's <laughs> when sports go really bad. Um, I mean, it's pretty, it's tragic. It's terrible. And then, and the news is littered with that. And there, there's thing, you know, there's uh, misogyny, there's hyper masculinity, there's, and I got to say it and it startles some people, but there's, you know, the, the potential to push uh, rape culture and, right. and unfortunate associations to the sport. And it's, and it's tragic and it's not the norm. Right. But no. one of the things that we're trying to do is, yeah, no, certainly neither of us would be in this business if that was the norm. Right. Right. Um, so we're trying to uh, detach the stigma where appropriate and get in front of stigma enhancing behaviors where appropriate. And for that, we, there's a lot of different looks um, for that second part. Maybe that's the most important, important part of everything we're doing. Uh, we host workshops with teams um, we do professional development sessions on how to ensure, uh, how to talk about healthy relationships and sexual violence and mental health with your teams. Um, some of the most important things that we're looking at as a society and within education today, I think sports can be a great, they offer a great platform, uh, to discuss it. So with, at, at the risk of talking for too long, I, <laughs> I, I do like to talk. Um, that's kind of, that, that's the beginning of it. I would no, say. that's. No, that's great. I think you did a really good job detailing all that, and we can kind of dive into each thing. Um, I want to go back to the uh, you know being a wellness coordinator, starting out and ending up with twelve hundred uh, students and eight staff. How long did something like that take? Because you didn't make it seem like it was it didn't take very long, but we we both know all the effort that went into it. But explain how how long did that take, and just a little brief uh, view of the kind of effort and intensity that went into that. Yeah, sure. Um... Uh, I, we move quickly. I, we, we definitely, we have a kind of a motto. We have, we try to have a bias toward action, um, when the action is well considered. So there's a little caveat to that. So a bias toward action, when the action is well considered, that's like sort of the motto of, of the inner workings of our strength program. And, um, what that means is essentially in, in year one and two and into year three, uh, it was one guy, uh, from very early in the morning until very, you know, pretty late at night. Uh, every day, um, I'm, I've missed one day of work in my time here, and it was due to I'm uh, you know looking back straight up exhaustion. Yeah. Um, and I'm not I don't and I don't mean to glamorize that. I'm very you know the the wellness side of me understands that at that level of exhaustion, there's no chance I was functioning at the highest level possible. So you know was I good enough uh, for the kids? Um, did I have a shorter temper on some days? Those those are concerns to me. But the truth is. Uh, you know, the hardest thing to, um, the hardest thing about creating a culture and creating a movement is get, is beginning the movement, right? The, you yeah. know, getting the flywheel turning, getting the thing off the ground. That's hard. So I, I, and, and, you know, going back to why I'm in this work, there's no question that the lessons I learned through playing football 
um, gave me kind of the drive and um, the willingness to sacrifice in those early years to push the thing forward. You know, I just, Friday nights would come around. I'm, you know, 24, 25 years old at the time. Friday nights come around and I'm going to bed, right? I've, I've, yeah. I've been, the week is, I'm completely drained and I've got a session Saturday morning. So, um, so to get it started was hard and I don't know how else to say that. Totally worth it, you know, totally worth it and um, fun in a lot of different ways, but it was tough. And then once, essentially what you have to do, I think, is prove concept. So once we, yeah, once we said definitely. it's possible, it's happening here. Uh, we also we we took another step and got kind of endorsed by a lot of local colleges, not in any official way, but essentially, you know, we'd I'd, I'd walk in the door at uh, Northwestern and uh, University, which is down the road, and just say, "Listen, is this good?" You know, or I'd call up the guys at the National uh, Straight Musicians Association and say, "Hey, will you take a look at this? Is it good?" And when they can sign off on things, all of a sudden you take that to the administration, and now you're pushing forward and and really the reason that we were able to move so fast is because um you know it's because i was i was tracking a lot of this and essentially said hey we've got um we now have this is well, i don't know probably year three we now have 500 participants the room is built for 35 people um i'm stretched to the limit can we can we find a way to get some part-time uh employment here yeah. um you know because it, we're not we're not going to add a, an, another wing to the school um, can we find a way to do that? And then, like I said, and then as long as you're, as long as, so, so I've got this motto and I think it, it maps onto this. I think, um, and I didn't make it up. I've heard it though. I, I think you chase the work that you're willing to do. And yeah. we found first it was me, then it was two other people and we were still grinding and it was pretty hard, but we kept showing up every day and we were willing to do the work. So we're, uh, or we just, we had, we were forced to grow for that reason. Yeah. Well, you it were long, worse. you were long game focused. Right, you weren't in it for the short term. You weren't in it for one quarter, and then you stopped. You were long game focused, so you kind of like you built it backwards. I think is an important way to look at things, where you knew where you wanted to go, and then you knew what step C looked like before B, what B looked like before A, and then eventually, and you may not be there yet, but you're getting to the point where it starts at the top of what you wanted to achieve to begin with. I think a lot of the times when people fail at things, is when they start mm -hmm. from the top down. And they think to themselves, well, you know, here's, here's where I, here's what they don't really, to make it short, they don't know what exactly it takes. All they know is what they want and they're not mm -hmm. willing to put in uh, C, B and A in that order and work backwards, work backwards from it. So, I mean, that's, Absolutely. that that's huge. If you start, if you start with the long game, know that it's going to be a road, you have to incorporate number one passion and you have to incorporate patience. I mean, yeah. You know, that, that's just, it's what it is. If you don't have either one of those, you don't have a team that, that believes in that, then forget about it. So absolutely. Um, 100%. Yeah. So when, we, uh, we just uh, touched on that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Dive yeah. into it. We, uh, well, yeah, we call it, it's, it's reverse engineering and yeah, from, yeah. from my own goals and like, and what we're hoping, uh, to have with all this. No, we haven't, we haven't touched the ceiling yet. Um, I hope that we can see the ceiling from where we are to be totally honest. But in terms of, uh, what did we want to do at Nutria High School with training conditioning? There's no question. And this is just, maybe this is bold, right? Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's too bold, but, but I think it's worked out okay so far. Our, our number one goal was to say, uh, you know, at Nutria, we're lucky. We have, we have kids competing for state championships all the time. So we said very simply, okay, we've got to match that, right? We've got to, we've got to like, you know, metaphorically, uh, win the state championship of strength and conditioning. We have to be that good. 
every year. Uh, and here's, so here's what it's going to look like when we get it fully, you know, fleshed out. We, we want every uh, athlete participating who's interested in doing this. We want every coach bought in. We want to make sure that we are reducing injuries. We want to make sure that we're increasing for all this stuff. With, these were explicit goals. And then just like you said, we reverse engineered it until we got down to very actionable things. And the truth is, that's like you said, a lot of people want, want, want the thing, but and to no fault of their own, maybe just don't know what, what it looks like that morning. Right. Right. Like, yeah. like five years from now, you want this thing. What does it look like that morning? That morning, it might be you don't hit snooze. Right. You just Good point. get up and go to work. Yeah. Right? And, you know, these little things. And it doesn't, it's hard to remember that sometimes because it's not glamorous and sometimes it's just hard. Uh, yeah. But if you can keep that, if you can, if you can keep the end goal in mind and articulate the steps so that those little, those small behaviors are very actionable and they're just repeated, then, you know, they have exponential returns. And I think you, I mean, you said it perfectly, but you, if a person, no matter what it is, you want a good, good return a good dividend on your return, right? And if you don't put any work and any effort for it, especially something that you're so passionate about, you know that the return mm-hmm. is going to come out like crap. So you put yeah. the effort in and work hard. And that's kind of how you, I mean, you instill that into athletes also. So they would, they're not going to expect any less from you guys because you don't expect any less from them. You've already set the standard, right? I mean, you've already built, oh, yeah. you've already built everything. Everything's already there. The standard's already set. So these kids are already—they're walking into a, a plus already, you know. They're—they have nothing—they have nothing down. So the effort comes in, just like you guys to build the program. You have to have effort on on both sides. So I think that's super important. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about, you know, when you mentioned pro development and coaching other coaches. Explain that mm-hmm. a little bit more because I've—that's starting to become more and more of a of a topic, the more coach strength coaches that I talk to, the more trainers that I talk to, that's been a really hot topic the past few episodes. So t- what's that look like mm-hmm. to you? Touch on that a little bit. Yeah. I, so I think, um, I, you know, I've seen some of the same things that you've seen. I, I see a growing interest in that and, and you know, what is really exciting to me? I've seen a growing openness to that from the perspective of coaches, which is so positive if that's uh, accurate that's great. Uh, because I think, you know, just the, um, you know, my um, last year I, I picked up another degree um, and it was in human development and psychology with a focus on cognitive neuroscience. And, and, and one component of that absolutely addresses what, what um, I'm working on now. And that is like uh, the cognitive, you know, abilities and biases of, of adult learners, right? Because that's what we're dealing with. Um, can you tell someone with 20 years of experience that it's time to reevaluate X, Y, or Z? Um, there's always going to be resistance to that, so it's it's kind of tricky. But if you can navigate that water and and instill something super valuable and, and maybe change a culture or at least what people, the way coaches frame things, then uh, it falls right into what we call our impact model, and that is um, coaches no question through the lens of cognitive neuroscience and social theory and all this stuff should be some of the most powerful educators in a student's life. Yeah. And it is a mistake not to see them as educators. Um, you know, if, if, if coach, the word coach almost has a stigma in some places, yep. it's got a reputation of respect in some places, um, not a serious educator. And we just have to realize that truth. Right. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, if you can, if you can, if you can affect, if we as the Good Athlete Project or whoever's conducting a professional development session can do it with enough tact and enough value to affect the people who are affecting the people, those people being the athletes, um, then all of a sudden you've got this trickle down uh, effect to the school at large, and it's massive. And, and the way we think of that is, uh, like I said, coaches. Uh, whether it's because their environment is full of novelty or motivation or whether it's uh, exercise-induced neural enhancement, which is something that we'll maybe touch on um, in a later episode or, or something like that. Whatever it is, this platform is super powerful. And if you can affect student-athletes, there's an absolute in social you know, awareness. If, if you, the star quarterback cannot walk down a hallway without getting noticed. You know, and you can say that's right or wrong, but it's true. Right. right? So we've identified athletes as... Uh, carriers of social clout, social influence. Right. Um, so again, if we can affect the people who are affecting the people with a great amount of social influence, then all of a sudden, uh, you know, the, the the whole student body starts to change. Yeah. And that's a really exciting thing. Yeah. If you if you start to get in deep with the people who who those students see the most, because you know if you're mm-hmm. if you're that. That's, not to take anything away from people who who aren't at the highest caliber uh, in in high school or college, but if you're a high enough caliber athlete, then you're spending the most time you can on the field with your teammates, with your coaches, with the strength coaches in the gym, and just that's where you are. And if you have positive reinforcement from that side first, then hopefully you're, you're going to carry that through those hallways when people see you. You know, that's going to change totally. atti- that's going to change attitudes. And the same thing goes with the coaches. So just like you were saying, mm-hmm. if if those same coaches are learning from people who want to help them develop their athletes into into yep. good role models with you know, you didn't come right out and say that, but that's what we're talking about, then mm-hmm. then that's True. that's where they need to be. They need to learn from people who want that for them. Because those because those coaches want their athletes to succeed also. I mean that's it only goes around and comes around. So the the people who um who are really stepping up and taking initiative to learn from these other people, those are the people that are going to be the most successful down the road, I think. Um and you know that kind of goes to a conversation you and I had the um when people look look at the stigma that we have as a coach or a personal trainer or x y and z, you name it. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind sometimes is a meathead. Even to me, when somebody else mentions another trainer that I don't know, I try to like. Yeah. Right, I, well, I, want, I wonder what he does. You know, I wonder why. Why is he different? You know, what separates me and him? Right. And in a, in a small way, I almost hope he's a meathead because then I feel like I have a one-up yeah. on him. <laughs> sure, but totally. it's true. I mean, it's true. I, I don't. You know, the people that I work with uh, on a day-to-day basis, the trainers, it's totally different. Like we're we're not a meathead um, a facility, but. I'm not saying every other place is, but that's, um, I think we have to work even harder in the industry to change people's minds. And it needs to start from the people that we're working close with. hundred percent. Yeah. And, and, and you want to know the, the best way to remove a stigma is just prove that it's not true. And that yeah. is hard to scale. It's hard to replicate. Yeah. But like you said, if, if, if you're proving, if you're the opposite of, that's all someone needs to see. They just, the, the trick is for us, how do we get exposure to that? And it's just yeah. funny that you say these things. I, I, I'm the same way, right? Like I, I, if someone comes to me with the opinion of a personal trainer and I respect the profession and I've been a part of it and all that kind of stuff, but I, I automatically write a wrong default to this assumption that perhaps, you know, perhaps meet at, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I, and I don't want to be rude about it, but it, 
but, but the funniest part about all of that is when you step back, the coach or the personal trainer, uh, through, again, through the lens of cognitive neuroscience, has a much powerful platform than, say, like a professor who's lecturing on the subject. But the immediate credibility, of course, goes to the professor. And I'm not yeah. saying that that's not well-earned, right? Uh, but if you're talking about sitting at, a desk, sitting at a desk and learning by hearing a lecture right. versus being, uh, being active and mobile in a, mo- in a, in a novel environment, uh, in an opt-in situation with, uh, with a role model standing in front of you, um, you know, that is, there's no question the brain is in a more receptive state in that option than the other. So I think another part of it is just is, is reminding coaches who they are, right? Yeah, uh, I think yeah, it's yeah. changing the narrative. I, I think it's like saying, dude, you're not a, you're not a meathead, right? You, you are an educator, and this is your classroom, and, it, and it's a powerful place to be. If you just, if you make the decision to use it as such, right, it, it could be Definitely. it could change the world. Yeah, and that all that takes, I think, is a little bit of give on the coach's side or the or the trainer's side. You just have to give sure. and know. And I've said this, and I'm starting to kind of play with this term more often. But meet people in the middle, or meet meet people where they are, because then if you open yeah. open up and you get to talk and just have open dialogue with someone that you're working with, a student, um, someone who's 80 years old, never worked out before, or someone who's been training themselves for you know 20 years everybody's coming from a different place you have to meet them in a different place and i think that's what's you really unique about the good good uh, athlete project is because that's you in essence that's kind of what you're doing you're meeting both yeah. the coach and the athletes where they are and you're kind of marrying that together totally yeah we're trying to at least that's that so we have uh we have three areas research outreach and leadership training those are all within our range and um the outreach specifically we we use a similar term. We, we say meet people in their space. And the idea is a very simple one. We want to provide support in whatever way we can. Yep. But we know that when we go into a workshop, um, whatever, pick, a, pick a, an, an attribute, integrity or whatever, or compassion, just pick one. It looks different in the suburbs of Chicago than it does in the city of Chicago. And the city of Chicago looks different than it looks in Boston, certainly uh, in Haiti or Brazil or some of the other places that we're working. It just, it can't be, it cannot be the same. You have to go meet people in, in in your space. If we go on that reverse engineering model, which Mm -hmm. we talked about, um, our goal is to be successful. And, and I think a lot of people's goal is to be right if that oh, makes yeah. sense. So we always oh, yeah. ask people, we say, do you, want, do you want to be right or do you want to be successful? If you want to say uh, integrity is et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and then hand that sheet to someone as, you know, as a whatever, as, as a form of professional development, say, hey, just do this. Just take this sheet, bring it into your program, you'll be fine. I mean, it just doesn't stick, right? No. So, so those people might be right in the way they've defined honesty, compassion, whatever it may be, but is it going to hold? Is it going to be successful? And that's all we care about. You know, we're, we we made this decision uh, early on, and this this was the the Good Athlete Project started started in a in a room in one of the Harvard libraries. Of whatever, it's pretty new, about a year and a half ago. And one of the first things we said was that we want to be successful. And in order to do that, we might have to swallow this pill that is, we don't want. You know, we might only get to five hundred or five thousand people. We might not get to five million, but the but the five hundred five thousand that we affect, it's going to be deep rooted effect. You know, we're going to actually make a change. And the hope is then that the people that we actually affect will have a ripple effect on the greater community. And that's where we'll see the, the, the real dividends instead yeah. of going route of, 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 uh, you know, some other organizations where the, where the goal is just expansion, right? If all you're right. doing is going in into a room and saying we affected 5 million people last year, 
Um, I mean, that sounds good, right? You can sell that idea. But, but the question is, uh, upon close looking, was there really an effect? Yeah, just and, because and you're in an area doesn't mean you're actually affecting them, that it's actually taking hold. Totally. You, might, you might as well be in totally. two, two, two spaces that are small for, for 10 years mm-hmm. and really develop those people. Because then, then you've mm-hmm. got like worker bees. Then you've got people that can develop themselves and go out and help other people. But if you're, if you're just, oh, yeah. if you want to scale so fast and you go out and you're just, you're in every single country, every single city that, that you, that you think needs it without any discussion. And that's, you're, you're setting great. You have awesome numbers, but those numbers really are, I mean, it's not even, they're kind of just binary. Like you, of course the numbers are there. The numbers are always going to be sure. there, but who, how many of those are you affecting? Right. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, totally. And and I also have to give the disclaimer that I that I believe that the people who are going super big, super fast, I believe that they're well intended, right? I I don't mean to doubt their intentions at, all. at all. Uh, but the que- the question is just like, like you said, you want you want to equip people to go out and help themselves, right? That's the idea. I the the la- what we wanted. We have a, a ton of goals at the Good Athlete Project, and and we're still working through some of them. But but there's no question that we want to equip students to succeed period. We don't want to have to be the resource they constantly come back to, right? We don't want to be like, oh, well, you need a piece of paper on this. Here you go. Like we, and then charge thirty nine ninety five or whatever it might be. Uh, we want to equip people with the knowledge it takes for them to succeed down the line. The other thing, just because I threw money in there is that, I mean, that's the luxury of being a nonprofit is, I mean, we help people whether, you know, for free, essentially. So we have no, there's no <laughs> ulterior motive here, right? right? Like we, we, just want um, to spread the message, maximize the space, which is athletics as education, um, and do good work. That's, I mean, for for someone who, just like yourself, who's been involved with it for, you know, basically their entire life with athletics and fitness and health and well-being, to see something that's that's trying to take root and change the industry from the outside, or excuse me, excuse me, from the inside out. And not right. not trying to push everything back in. We're just trying to expand what it means, what what good can really come from from athletics and from the strength side of things and from the coaching side. There's all these aspects, just like anything else. Just like if you're trying to become a better writer, there's different outlets for everything. If you're trying to become a better mechanic, there's different outlets for everything. You have to learn from the people who are invested all in. And I think I think the Good Athlete Project is definitely. Um, I mean, the the group of people that you're dealing with on a day to day basis, you wouldn't be dealing with them if they weren't passionate about it, right? Right. So. Oh yeah. yeah right. So I mean, that that speaks to it all. If you don't have any passion, you're not going to be involved with these kind of things. So. Totally. Um, yeah. We're we're really selective on that point. Like we've become very quickly. We've been forced to be very selective on yeah, who we work you with. So have the first to thing be. we do is. You have to be, yeah. So, we, I mean, the first thing we do is we just have a conversation and we essentially say, are these people's uh, missions and values and passions aligned with ours? If so, now we'll talk about the next step. We just, we can't go too big too soon. Instead of, instead of amassing, you know, uh, a massive troop of coaches to help push this around, what we took time to do was develop an advisory board right. um, that has been just amazing and I'm so grateful to have them on. Uh, but again, for the sake of being successful, necessarily right. Our our advisory board is um, is I mean it's fairly small compared to others. Meaning we, we're not going to we probably won't go over a dozen members total on the advisory board. But it is we're talking about Harvard professors, um, 
chief chief of surgery at Johns Hopkins, you know, uh, people at Northwestern University. And I mean, we want, we want the experts so that the thing that we're putting out into the world, we can vet through them and say, Hey, we, we, this is probably going to be successful. And and then going back to the the very principal idea of nonprofit work is, um, is do no harm. Right. So what we are suggesting to people or we're suggesting people employ in their own practices is always vetted through those experts. Um, before putting it back into the field yeah because you could always you could always come up with like a, a criteria to hand hand a coach and just say here's what we expect of you and just hope that it gets right. done correctly plenty of right. plenty of places do that and then it's up to the coach right and then when, when it's up to that coach you you're that you're putting in your project into the hands of someone who is going to be the leader in the face of of what you're doing you're just hoping mm-hmm. that way that it gets done the way you want it you're just hoping with no vetting right. like that. I mean, you see it everywhere. Like sure. From the NFL level, uh, MLB, all a trickle down effect. It's it's all the way down the line. And unfortunately, it's that's not that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. But uh, right. You know, and to go back to and this kind of ties in. I wanted to touch on this earlier, but you talked about you know kind of a when we hear about the the bad things that come out of athletics when people think of an athlete. You know, there's just here in Cincinnati uh, just this past week. There's a former um, football standout that played here in Cincinnati for high school, college, and the NFL, and he just ran had a little had a little issue. And you know, of course, you hear some, some people say, "Well, of course, you know, he's a football player. Of course, he doesn't know any better." And you're like, "You know, no, no, right. he's a human that happened to right. be an athlete." You know, like there's there's yeah. something there's yeah. something deeper behind it. Did did getting hit in the head for twelve plus years? have something to do with it probably but that doesn't mean that you know something that something else couldn't have happened along the way where somebody could have made an impact and and i think it starts it starts with grassroots things like what you guys are doing and i'm just i'm just glad to be able to spread the word and i know we're going to have um more conversations down the road about it so um well you just left uh you just left kind of a cliffhanger there because there's no (laughs) question uh what effect you know we're we're deeply involved in uh the research and uh, essentially what we call the concussion discussion, you know, does yeah. that have play a factor, you know, have an effect on people? Um, it certainly does. And, but, but how and why unbraiding that discussion is complicated and certainly not as direct as people think. Uh, so that's kind of the cliffhanger, I suppose. But the other thing that you mentioned, which is just pops out at me from that is, okay, so the guy played his entire career in high school and college uh, and eventually in the NFL. I, I'm, I would be very curious, and I'm not going to make an assumption, but what happened in the four years of college, right? What right. happened in the four years of high school? Was it, was it just performance optimization? Were they just trying to move him on to the next level? Sure. Or were they saying, hey, listen, you know, this guy, longest career possible, what, he makes it to 40, maybe, in you know, playing professional sports? What's going to happen with him the rest of his life? Now, you know, if, if a college coach, say, saw himself more clearly or herself clearly as an educator, uh, instead of someone who's kind of an intermediary pushing this person to the next level, then uh, who knows? Yeah, right? who and knows? And I, I, I don't think we can make broad assumptions, but, I, but I've got some ideas. I think if that was a really highly directed, uh, well-researched, well-implemented uh, four years, yeah. character development and leadership training at the core of what was done, I think it might be safe to assume uh, more positive outcomes on the back end. Well, I think you're you're definitely the person to speak to that more than I am. So I'm gonna leave us on that cliffhanger, and I made a note <laughs> so we can link back yeah. up and kind of dive deeper into that because I've got some other uh, questions for you too, based on specifically that. So the last time you and I spoke, 
you left me with a pretty awesome quote. So is do you have another quote you can leave everybody with to kind of get them thinking and get the, the juices flowing about what they're doing in, in uh, their day-to-day? Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for quotes if they're, if they're framed correctly too. The, the one that we talked about, and, um, and I won't go too long on it, but it's simple. I read a lot of, uh, Emerson is one of my favorite writers. And the one we talked about was uh, a very simple one, but it stuck with me for years. And that's, uh, what I must do is all that concerns me. Um, and when we talked about it, I think for me, it's always had two meanings. Uh, what I must do is all that concerns me. If you break it at what I must do, the what I must do part is like the obligation. Um, so what I must do, my obligation is all that concerns me. It's the only thing on my mind. It's this idea that you lock in uh, and focus on one um, well-considered, well-intended goal, and then there's, there's nothing else, at least yep. for a short amount of time. You know, usually you ask people to do that in burst, and you, for, and you go for it full bore, you're locked in, hyper-focused, what I must do, that's the only thing that concerns me. The other sort of reading of that is what I must do is all that concerns me, and that is like what I have to do are all these things that, can, that are concerning to me, right? And that's kind of one of the staples of, of, of my mission and what pushes me forward is like I can't, I've never been able to just like accept things as they are and, you know, and, and turn a blind eye. So all these things that concern me, either you know, positive or negative, uh, whether it's the arts, I'm, I'm deeply involved in the arts is, um, writing and painting and all those things or athletics or character development or, uh, cognitive neuroscience and, um, behavioral psychology and all those things. I have to do those, right? If they are, it goes back to the idea of chasing the work you're willing to do. If they stand out to me, I've got to chase them. Yep. So. Definitely. And you brought up some other topics too that we're going to hit on next time. So, well, look, coach, I, I appreciate the time and uh, the effort you put into everything you do and the passion comes through, man. So that's, uh, that's going to go a long way. Um, we'll get on the phone again and, you know, reignite the, the flame and get after it some more. Okay. Absolutely, man. Eric, I appreciate the opportunity. I hope you keep doing good work as well. Uh, and we will talk soon.